welcome to Event Experience by Bizabo. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the podcast where we bring the best and brightest event experience leaders together to share stories, tips, and lessons learned from creating some of the world's biggest events. This week, my guest is Nicola Kastner, and she is the founder of The Event Strategist, a boutique consultancy firm who offer event strategy advisory services to global brands to help them successfully optimize their event experiences to drive bottom line results. She's a multi-dimensional event trailblazer, and she's led from both the brand and agency side of the business. Prior to launching her consultancy practice, she's held various roles, including most recently, she was the global vice president of event marketing strategy for SAP where she was responsible for designing and optimizing event strategies for events ranging from 25 to 25,000 people. In this conversation, Nicola shares her event experience on how she got into events, how she used data to overhaul that 25,000 person event, pivoting during the pandemic, and where the event industry needs to focus in the future. All right, let's get into it. I am Eric Fisher. I am excited to be with Nicola Kastner. Nicola, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to the show, I should say, because you were on the show at a very important time back in October 2019. And that seems like worlds away from where we are now. And we're going to get into that. I want to revisit that conversation. We'll fast forward like most of us want to, through the pandemic (laughs) up until modern times and today, though we're still dealing with remnants of that in various ways. But all of that focused on events and event experience. This is going to be a fun conversation. I'm excited to talk with you today. Thank you for having me back. And you're right, the world has definitely changed. You have over 20 years of event experience. How did you get into the event industry, and what are some of those highlight moments for you along the way? So I knew when I was a kid, when I was in high school that I wanted to get paid to travel the world. The way that seemed logical to do that was to study hospitality and tourism. So while I was at school, I took a course incentive travel. And I don't know if I want to call it a light bulb moment, but it was it was something where I really re- realized that there the connection between business performance and data and events and travel could all really work seamlessly to impact the bottom line of the business of the business. I, I was so Super interested in that. Following school, I worked at hotels, DMCs, and then ultimately landed up on the agency side where I spent a good 15 years at a number of different agencies, took three years off to be a mom too, and which has, I think actually does make me a better leader as well. So while I was at the agency, I took a course at a conference. It was the MPI WEC conference. And that course literally changed the direction of or the course of my career it was it was on event strategy and it was one again once again one of those light bulb moments and i really have not looked back since i've really developed a deep passion and expertise around building event strategies to support business performance after leaving the agency world i ran my own consulting company for a while worked for sap along with a number of other clients as as a consultant. And then in 2015, joined SAP on a full-time basis, 
number couple of different roles there, but the most sort of notable one was as as leading event strategy and sort of the overall portfolio of events. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail in a minute. And then in January, I started my own business back up again and left the corporate world and am working with other clients to help them improve their event strategies. That's awesome. So you were the previous global head of event marketing at SAP. Obviously, they have this uh, flagship event that's an annual flagship event, and you did some major overhauling, tweaking to that event. Yeah, for sure. So I joined SAP on a full-time basis in 2016, leading event strategy, reporting directly to the chief marketing officer as a member of her leadership team, moved in full-time in March of 2018. No, I wasn't leading global events at the time. My role was created to be head of event strategy. And in August of that year, the, the leader of the team left and Alicia asked me if I would take over that interim leadership position. I now was responsible for the transformation of the portfolio as well as Sapphire and leading the team that delivered against that versus trying to do it by influence. So that's that was the beginning of, of the process. Interesting. So... Obviously, one of the things that was a major highlight, and, and we've got, by the way, Bizabo on their blog, we have a dedicated article talking all about this story from that previous podcast episode. You can read all about this, but the gist of it is the power that lies behind event data. What are some of the insights slash revelations to yourself about event data that you've had uh, working with Sapphire and other clients? Well, data is the foundation. Data really should drive every single decision that is made around an event, an event strategy, event approach, and whatever you want to call it. But data is is the fundamental foundation of that. So for me, and data is my passion. Data is where I find comfort. I find great stories. Taking that data-led approach ensures that you're building that that right foundation from which you can build up the rest of the experience. There's so much power in the data. And, and I think that it's being underutilized and it, one, undercollected and underutilized. It's, if it's being collected at all, it's being collected at a very surface level and it's not being used like I know that you know to use it for is on a very individualized customer centric an individualized experience-centric utilization of that data, right? So collecting data is, is, is one piece of it, but actually using, connecting that data to inform the right insights is actually even more complicated than collecting the data. But you know, events are just one part of the customer journey. And so understanding how a customer whether it's pre-purchase and you're using an event to accelerate pipeline, or if it's post-purchase and you're using an event to educate, to enable, to help drive customer loyalty and satisfaction. The event is just one random moment in time. There is a full end-to-end customer journey. And if you're not looking at that customer journey end-to-end and thinking about all of the touch points and how they work in tandem, you're probably looking to have a very happy customer, quite frankly. You know, we're all really savvy consumers in our day-to-day personal lives. We don't check those expectations at the door when we go to an event or we deal with a company that is a, you know, B2B company. I just think that 
the the connection of data to, and insights to the customer journey holistically is is so important. And where and events are such an amazing source of data, whether it's registration data, it's behavioral data. Certainly, in in my former role with SAP, we looked at purchase intent and 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 buying propensity. If a customer was attending a lot of sessions about a certain product set that they didn't own. Those were buying signals that really needed to be fed into all of the other analytics and data that that was used to drive the marketing strategy for that specific customer. And so, you know, the connection of the two is so important. And so I would recommend to the listeners that they start thinking about data in a completely different way. Well, I want to point out right there, as a an event attendee, it's rare that when I attend a session, now I know it's it's easy, it's easier digitally and in hybrid, virtual and hybrid, to track who's attended which sessions because it's kind of, you 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 click and you walk through the door, they've captured it. But in a in-person experience, it's rare in my experience that anybody's scanning my lanyard to know what I've attended. And that's what I mean by some of that data just isn't being collected and it's an oversight that we're not grabbing that and using that. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, we used, yes, it was a large Sapphire's large event, 24,000 people was the 2019 version of that. And with 24,000 people comes large budgets. I get that, right? But we use Bluetooth tracking technology. So we knew, you know, at, so at an individual level, not that we creeped out and went too deep into the personal level, but, but but it's all aggregated through the CRM. We were able to identify what people were were attending. But that's often a gap in marketing, right? Because I remember with some of my former experience prior to taking on, on the Sapphire um, model was I would say to my business and marketing operations team, look at all of this data that we're collecting from events. Why are we not leveraging it? And the silos that traditionally event in, uh, exist in marketing departments just didn't allow that to be used in the right way. So it's conversations that have to start across the entire marketing organization, but events, you know, like I said, full treasure trove of knowledge that we should be harnessing. Yeah. I, I love that you say that an event is a moment in time and it's not the entire cycle. It's not the entire journey but it is a really rather big milestone where a, a flurry of activity is happening. And so it makes sense to capitalize and leverage that. That's right. And connect it to your digital channels. You know, the analytics and the data around digital behaviors are so sophisticated. Why, why shouldn't we be connecting that same data at an event level as well? For sure. By the way, you love data. I love Venn diagrams. So I'm always thinking in terms of crossover and what's in the center. But it, it, to me, I'm, I'm seeing something in my head where it's the, the diagram is the Venn diagram is the center of the customer needs slash wants. And then the overlap of the organization's own business goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the sweet spot between the two. And so data is obviously the place that we can start to create one better event experiences for our customers, but also get to know our customers better and serve them better. So obviously the last time that you were on the show was prior to 2020, it was 2019. 
a lot has happened since then. Let's step into March 2020 and the world of 2020-2021 in terms of the pandemic pivot and uh, you know your insight there. What was your experience in the event industry when it came to the pandemic? Yeah. So let me step back a little bit before March of 2020 and talk about what the plan was for 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 Sapphire 2020, right? So we've gone from this huge reinvention and that we had to pivot, which is the most overused word now, but but really we had to, and for anybody that hasn't listened to the podcast or or read the story, essentially 60 days prior to Sapphire 2019, we had to rebuild the strategy based on a request from our executive board. So we had to remap thousands of sessions and and it was the day the content catalog went live as well, which, you know, for any of you that are in the event space, you understand the amount of heavy lift that that takes. And then to have to remap and rebuild an entire strategy 60 days out was, was complex. So we take this learnings of, you know, the new strategy we'd built that we had to, to refine 60 days refine again 60 days prior going into 2020's event. So once again, went through, went deep into a, a new strategy that's found the balance between what we had been had planned to achieve in 2019 and, and where we ultimately landed. And it was going to be an epic event. We had designed all new assets on the Sapphire show floor. And for context for anybody that also hasn't listened. The Sapphire show floor is where everything happens for the event. So a million square feet of space. We in fact had to expand outside of that space and build tents. All content sessions, keynote, meeting center, partner expo, you name it, was was all in this space. And the assets, the way that the, you know, whether it was the demo pods or the theaters or whatever those things were, we'd spent a lot of time that we'd done a research project about how to adults learn what kinds of environments did we need to create we had spent a lot of millions of dollars on new assets that were designed to support support this research and we had a spectacular showcase that was going to tell the end-to-end -end SAP story to our attendees and was a really amazing experiential moment for the attendees. We had two brand new CEOs. It was going to be their coming out party. Like it was going to be epic. We were so excited. And then, then COVID came along. And so early March, the decision was made to cancel the event, although we didn't make it public for about three more weeks. And and it, it was a crazy, it was a crazy time. I mean, we were, we were, I think six, seven weeks out from the event. When we canceled, we had a few weeks to come up with a new strategy. Fortunately, we had spent a lot of time looking at the data in the past. So we weren't, you know, starting with data combing again and trying to figure out what the heck to do. The data insights were already there to to help us inform us. The head of events went out for with COVID for six weeks while we were building the strategy. Or not six weeks, three weeks, I think he was out while we were building the strategy. It was just, it was a crazy, crazy time. So ultimately, we had the final approach proof, say, mid-April and had about two months to build the new strategy. And instead of <laughs> or execute the new strategy, I suppose is the right word. And then instead of going simple, we in SAP 
style went really complex. So what we had decided and was that we would build, so we had, for if I back up a second, we had about 11 different areas of the business that SAP served through our solutions. And so each of those areas of the business was going to have their own broadcast channel for 90 minutes of content. We knew we couldn't keep them for days. And we'll talk about this in a little, a little bit because that's a huge big people of mine. So we were going to do 90 minutes of live content for uh, across 11 global broadcast channels. Then on top of that, 15 regional sites that allowed attendees to engage with each other and global and local content in local language. So 11 channels, now 15 sites. So there were eight languages, but you know, English was in UK and it was in Australia. It was in Canada, US. There's different nuances, different localizations of those even. And so it was incredibly complex. Leading up to the event, the, the few days before, we had set a goal of 60,000 registrations. We had 129,000 registrations. We had like just massive increases in everything. Like we felt like, wow, look what we've pulled off. The Monday as our global keynote was kicking off, the system crashed completely and never came back. Wow. Okay. wow. So es essentially all... Well, we don't know because we lost the access to all the data, but, but as, as, as everybody came in, the system died. We moved every, all of the content onto social channels, which we were already planning on streaming on the social channels, but we lost all those beautiful analytics about who, who came or was attending, which is one of the beauties of digital events. Basically overnight had to rebuild all of our content onto YouTube, lost everything was ungated. We had zero analytics that came out of it. So it was just to say it was a disaster would be an understatement. It was a huge learning. It was a huge lesson. You know, it, it just, it was, it was on top of COVID, on top of being locked down at home, you know, this, this all happened. It was, it was tough, but certainly as a team, we recovered and, and, and were able to move forward. And I'm sure many of the listeners are saying, well, didn't you have a backup plan? Yes, we had backup plans for backup plans for backup plans. What we didn't have was a backup plan if all of our backup plans failed. <laughs> so th so no. that's that's what I'm curious about is so post-disaster, obviously in the moment, it's triage and react and hopefully recoup a strategy. But post-disaster, now that you've had some time to live with it, et cetera, what are your thoughts, your insights, your learnings from, you know, contingency planning like that? So what I would say about... <laughs> about what we've learned from, from a backup plan perspective and a contingency plan perspective have been several things. I mean, like I mentioned before, have a backup plan. If all of your backup plans fail, I think it's important to model worst case scenarios so that you're able to react quickly versus being a deer in the headlight saying, oh my God, what, what now, what do we do? I think backup content repository Tories are always a great thing. I became an expert at uploading content to YouTube in those 48 hours post-event. But I also think the lesson is beyond sort of how do you how do you make sure that your tech is 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 secure? It's more about less is more. I think we went I mean, we went really aggressive and we built something that looked like it was going to be an incredible 
incredible experience. And, and that's what we had designed it to be so that it could be a fabulous experience for our attendees. But did we need to have 11 channels with 15 local sites? Probably not. So maybe start simple. Don't overcomplicate things, I think is probably one of the biggest takeaways that I have. Yeah, yeah. You know, overcomplicating it definitely takes it to this place where you have to have these expansive contingency plans, whereas a simplistic plan means, oh, suddenly I don't have to factor in all these things. I can pare it down to just what's essential. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and and as we think about digital events, you know, I think the biggest pet peeve for me throughout the pandemic is sort of a lift and shift mentality. You know, the reality is people act very differently digitally than they do in person. So if you think about Amazon, Amazon is not set up like a department store. People don't go to buy a dress and walk out with a sofa because they're task oriented. But they do do that when they're in a department store because they browse. Same thing applies to events. We built, we built, we took what we did in physical events, which are bundles of activities, trying to maximize time and space where you have people captive within your environment. And then we just moved them all to digital when maybe they don't even need to be bundled in the same way. So I think in order to build effective digital events, we have to think about digital behaviors, the task orientation that people have and how people consume content, like, you know, really powerful content. You know, what's the average view time? 12 minutes on Netflix. Why do we think keynotes with our executives for an hour and a half are going to get views for longer than incredible content? They're not, people just don't behave the same way. So for me, that's, that's been my big pet peeve through the pandemic is, is, you know, we're trying too hard to translate what we did in real life or do in real life as we move into hybrid strategies in the digital environment versus designing for the medium that it is. So obviously in the mind of an event professional, they're hearing you say that, but they don't, they may not know exactly what the perspective shift is that they need to start having moving forward. When they look at that difference in the, in the, um, when they look at that difference in the behavior between in-person and online and hybrid, how would you say moving forward, they need to shift their perspective? What are some first steps at least? Well, I think it's about the reason and the objectives, right? It starts with the objectives, right? What are you trying to achieve? Did people come to in-person events to network, to meet other people, to have in-person conversations. Digital is great from a learning perspective or broad announcements and awareness perspective, but they don't come necessarily to try and network with other people. And, you know, I think we've all sat through some horrible situations where we've been forced into networking rooms during the pandemic and an event we were at and, you know, have no idea why you landed up with these 35 other people. First of all, 35 people can't have a conversation. So what that, that in itself is a problem. So I think thinking about the objectives, why people would attend your events and understanding that and the difference if a, uh, of those objectives is the critical first step. Because then you design, that allows you to design to the medium as well as the, as why people are there in the first place, you know, and, and I actually, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. I do question hybrid strategies 
to a degree. I, I absolutely believe there's a place for physical. I absolutely believe there's a place for digital in the future. I just not always sure that they need to come together at the same time. It, I, it actually creates more complex complexity in the planning versus less. And, and it makes it, you know, an attendee that's coming to your digital site versus somebody that's coming to your in-person environment and checking in two completely different experiences. So why are we trying to put them together when it often doesn't make sense? Yeah, I think that and obviously here at Visibo, we have for a while been saying we're already living in a hybrid world. Obvious examples are you use a digital system to call an Uber and then a physical car in person shows up to pick you up and other examples. I won't go through too many of them. Think of why that's a successful example. It circumvents the friction that used to be there in that instance of getting a ride. So now we need to apply that mentality of reducing friction using technology in the event space. Couldn't agree more. I love that. You led me to it. So I can only take credit for so much. So, <laughs> and it seems like that, you know, to move forward to today, it seems like that's what's happening mass scale in terms of the pandemic opening up new opportunities. So you now are back to doing consulting and doing your own thing because you wanted a greater, better fit, et cetera. And in fact, a lot of people these days call it the great resignation, but you've got a better term for it that I know you didn't coin it, but you use it and I love it. Yeah, I, I, I'm calling it the great realization. So yeah, I went from SAP where I'd been five and a half years with a huge high pressure job and great success. I loved my teammates so much, you know, and I, I of course I had, you know, like anybody with the insecurities, like, you know, am, am I valuable or is my, is my, is my self-worth tied to the brand that's behind my name versus brand Nicola? And, you know, imposter syndrome will tell you that, of course, that's the case. It's not the case. Um, the knowledge I have is the knowledge I have. Um, and will I miss being part of a team? Yes, of course. But I also have some amazing friendships and, and amazing clients and colleagues in my new world. But for me, it was about finding the right balance, pushing, working for, in a company that had a hundred and over a hundred thousand employees, trying to align a strategy where you've got multiple businesses and multiple business units. It takes its toll. So for me, it was time to really think about work life, personal balance, the type of work I wanted to do. But it also the world has changed, not just events, the world has changed post pandemic and employers now are understanding that it's okay a, for people to work remotely. SA, fortunately, SAP was always a proponent of that. I've always been home-based. They hire talent where talent is, not where an office is. So I've been very, very fortunate, but a lot of companies didn't realize that in the past. Now they realize people can be home-based and successful. They are also embracing the fact that they can bring in top talent on short-term assignments to help them build strategies, in, in my case, build a portfolio strategy or an event strategy for a fraction of the cost that they would have to pay if I was a full-time employee. So this, in, this embracing of the new way of working, uh, that the timing is was, was right for me. And it's been really exciting. Obviously, right now you're working with and consulting with people in the event industry with your clients, which I know you're loving. What would you say to other event professionals who find themselves moving into this post-pandemic 
world right now in terms of guidance of where there's a place for them and what they can do and these new opportunities that the pandemic has brought? Yeah, well, I think fundamentally, you know, the world's changed. Our event portfolios have to change. What we did before the pandemic is not it's, it shouldn't be brought back in the same way. I think as an industry, we really need to be questioning how we do events, why we do events, what we're hoping to achieve from events, and then designing against those needs versus rinse and repeat. Oh, well, this worked pre-pandemic. It's going to work now. No, this is a great opportunity that we've been given to really question the what and the why and to start blank slate. So my recommendation and where I'm working with my clients and most of my clients are, you know, heads of marketing that are saying, help us build a portfolio of events that drives to business needs and, and is really going to drive business outcomes. You know, so because we always did, let's say a 24,000 person in-person event, should we be doing that anymore? And you, and the answer might be yes, the answer might be no. And so it really starts in my mind with looking at, and, and this was an exercise I took the SAP team through in 2020, was really looking at sort of talking about Venn diagrams, come back to your Venn diagrams. And this is a Venn diagram. Imagine a Venn diagram with four circles that overlap and almost like a flower or biohazard symbol for if, if you want to call it that. You know, looking at the intersect, the intersection point of these four circles is what should inform the event strategy. And, and the four four circles. One is your business. What are your business? What are your business needs? What's your business strategy? What's your marketing strategy? What, you know, what are you trying to drive as a result in the business? So really taking a deep dive into that at SAP, we interviewed over hundred internal stakeholders. We you know, went through all of our strategy docs and our marketing strategies and so forth to really understand what did the business need and where did events solve a specific problem or fill a gap or or add value because an event's not always the right answer either less is more going back to that that same conversation we had before so when is an event the right answer that was the one circle so understanding the business needs the other one of the circles was understanding the customer needs or the partner needs whoever the communities are that you're serving through your events so we surveyed more than a thousand customers to really understand what did they value about our events as well as other events that they went to what were they looking to achieve when they came to events how did they think that would change when they could go back to an event we also did about 30 deep dive interviews with customers and conversation as well the the and the third circle is sort of the the macro environment. So we spent a lot of time looking at what did we think the return to events would be, would look like? What were the implications of that? What were our competitors doing? Because, you know, in a B2B environment and a B2C environment, I'm sure as well. The reality is every, you know, we're very, very interested in what the set's doing. So what, what did we think they would be doing when they came back to events? What could we learn from other industries that had been, had been through disruption, like, you know, education or, or um, advertising, you know, whatever those might be, all these different industries. So that was the macro environment. And then the fourth circle is looking at your past event data. Sorry to go back to the dirty D, D word, but looking at that data and really taking a deep dive into what 
you know, what outcomes have we achieved? Who came to our events? Why did they come to our events? What were the impacts of those? What were the objectives? What was the portfolio of events? And you take all of those four circles and the intersection point of all of those informs your event strategy. So to me, what I would recommend to anybody is think about it. Think from a business lens, not an event lens. Think about, you know, what do you, what needs are you trying to solve? And then build a, a new strategy, build a strategy from there. Theoretically, it might be the strategy you had in the past, but I would hazard the guess it's not, but base it on, on solid insights and data. Wow. That's worth the price of admission right there for this podcast. Nicola, that is a great insight and a great way for people to move forward. Obviously, I can see why people love working with you. I would love for you to point us to where we can send people to find out more about what you're doing consulting-wise and what you're doing with your business these days in case they want to, hey, if they want to be a client. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So NicolaCastner.com is my website. And, you know, this for me, I, I share this to help people. I'm not trying to sell my services. I'm humbled and the demand um, that I've had to date. And but I really believe in trying to give back to this industry and educating this industry and helping us just think different because working together, we're all much better. The, the sum of the parts is better than the individual. Awesome. Nicola, it's been great talking with you today. And I look forward to eventually having you back on the podcast. I know it will happen. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Man, what a great conversation with Nicola Kastner. I am so glad to have been able to talk with her. And I'm so glad to have been able to share this conversation with you. If you're not subscribed already, thanks again for listening but definitely make sure to subscribe to Event Experience. We've got lots of great episodes planned and coming out for you soon. Wherever you're listening to this, there's a button there somewhere that says subscribe, whether that's on our website at bizabo.com or in the podcast player app of choice you're listening to this on right now. Just click that subscribe button and click the share button too. Share this with somebody that you know needs to hear this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for listening and we will see you next episode.